Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not piss them off too much. (laughs) On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you would like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you're subscribed to Nimsy Insights. Now's your chance. Whether you're watching us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever you're logging in today, you can follow us there. And if you do follow or subscribe to us, you will be one of the first people to know when we schedule new live streams and or publish new research on localization and globalization available at nimsy.com a little bit about the platform most of y'all are joining us on linkedin live today we like doing things on linkedin because that's where everybody's at and if you are then i encourage you Make sure to be introducing yourself in the comments. We're going to bring the the comments up on screen here. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms during the live stream, then we will bring those up later in the stream and make sure that we are addressing those. So go ahead and engage. This is a social network, so get sociable. Well, without further ado, let's introduce today's topic and guests. Uh, More with less is a common refrain for localization directors. During challenging economic times, the need for localization does not go away. But as budgets are being cut, localization professionals need to get creative. How can buyers leverage their supply chain to optimize the localization spend? How is technology helping to resolve this challenge? What role do we expect ChatGPT and other conversational AI to play in the future of localization? In this episode, we are joined by Jonas Ryberg and Wei Zhang, two of the minds behind the State of Localization report from Scientific, to hear about how global companies respond to economic downturns without sacrificing their localization efforts. About Jonas Ryberg, Jonas is the Chief Globalization Officer at Scientific with a long history of building organizations and businesses through strong people and customer focus and strategic thinking. Wei Zhang is the VP of Localization Technology at Scientific and co-author of How an Economic Downturn Affects Localization. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Um, I tried my best to introduce you. Let's give you a second. What did I miss out? Tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Jonas. Hey, Tucker. Happy to be here again. It's always good talking to you. Yeah. Um, you did well. So I managed globalization right. at uh, Scientific. Um, I think another important aspect here we, we want to talk about doing more with less and uh, not only from a supplier perspective but also from a buyer perspective right so i've also been on the buyer side i've seen some of the challenges from that perspective as well so uh, i was managing uh, globalization at uh, at the business intelligent uh, software company uh, a while back as well in addition to being at scientific well, welcome. Yeah, welcome back. This is not certainly not your first appearance on the Nimsy Live podcast, so welcome back. And Wei, this is your first time on the Nimsy Live podcast. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Tucker. First of all, I like your co-host on your shoulder very much, and it's so cute. <sighs> yeah, until she until she chews through my microphone cord, I think we'll be okay. 
so nice to be here. It's such an honor to talk to you guys and to talk to the audience. And I um I've been looking um forward to say how technology can solve the problems from I totally agree with youngness from the buyer's side. You know, I've been working in the localization industry for a long, long time, for more than 20 years. Most of the time I was on the buyer side, I was in the industry side. So how do we use technology? How do we use automation? How do we uh, keep innovating in localization uh, processes? That's the key. So uh, we'll talk about this today. Thank you. Of course, yeah. So just to provide a little bit of structure, I want this to be, as usual, this is an open conversation with you two gentlemen, as well as anybody in chat who chimes in. Um, but just to provide a little bit of structure, here's kind of what I wanted to get through today. Uh, well, of course, we're going to talk about economic downturns and localization. And in that article that you'd wrote, or written way, um, we looked at three localization trends. So I want to cover that. We're going to look at the state of localization in 2023 and feature the latest report from Scientific on that, just because it's a very interesting research I think people need to be aware of. And, of course, talking about lovable customer experiences and AI and localization. So let's dive right into our conversation here without further ado and talk about economic downturns and localization. And I have a quote here from an article, which I'm going to drop into chat here as soon as I get done talking. Uh, the article is called How an Economic Downturn Affects Localization. Way you were one of the co-writers on it. it. says, business seeing the bumpy road ahead or businesses seeing the bumpy road ahead are under more pressure than ever to cut costs and operate more efficiently while maintaining quality and protecting time to market. What does that mean to their localization efforts? And how can localization help build business, not only help a business not only survive a recession, but also improve its globalization efforts? And I wanted to highlight this quote because I think it sets up well kind of the conversation that we wanted to have here today where... A lot of people are finding themselves, a lot of organizations are finding themselves in crunch mode, essentially, um, especially the technology sectors. There's been some you know, downsizing happening recently, and localization programs have been affected by that. And I want to talk about this concept of decreasing budget doesn't always necessarily mean we have to decrease quality decrease lovable user experiences, decrease time to market, things like that. And Wayne, in your article, you'd mentioned um, three trends that we wanted to look at here today. You know, localization empowering going into new markets, the power of outsourcing and the power of technology. So maybe we can kind of keep the conversation focused around that. But Wei, I'll turn it over to you right now. How do you see these trends affecting or global companies during an economic downturn or perhaps preparing for an economic downturn? Yes, I will go first. Yannis is also expert in this too, and he will uh, help me to keep explaining this. So for the economy downturn, new market is becoming more important, especially for the emergency market international, right? Companies need to keep expanding their business, keep exploring new opportunities. So the easiest way is to for the new products and new technologies, but the markets is important. Going international is one of the uh, the trending solutions for large companies. That's why we're seeing even in the economy downturn, in the difficult time, going to keep exploring new markets is one of the solutions for the large companies to keep expanding their business. 
and also you know, outsourcing is kind of a trend. It's been the trending for so many years. We have been doing a lot of outsourcing work. We have been using international resources to do this. But recently, we have the new technologies, so many new technologies in the market, which is helping a lot to solve the problem. As you just mentioned, ChatGPT and AI solutions mm -hmm. really brings into differences to the market. We want to talk about that, you know, how to use the technologies. Measuring the companies, focusing on using technologies, adopting the technologies, implementing technologies in the graduation processes. And I will transfer here to Yannis. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a lot to unpack both in the quote and in, in those right. trends, right? Right. Um, I don't know where, where to start, to be honest, but I think you did well, uh, Wei, in, in sort of uh, summarizing it. Definitely um, on the first one, right? So using localization in order to protect your market share, but also to expand, right? So it's, it doesn't have to be all bad uh, when we move into a recession. I think uh, NIMSE is a big proponent of the concept of localization being a recession proof, right? That mm. companies actually need to expand into new markets in order to avoid degrowing uh, potentially in a, in a recession, right? Degrowing, I love that term. I'm gonna use that <laughs> from now on. <laughs> right, so that, that it is something that we've seen that uh, we see new requests coming in and we're trying to, to talk about how can we support that from a localization perspective. And then uh, the, the other aspect that, uh, that you listed was outsourcing. So Clearly, if you're trying to do more with less uh, in a buyer organization, you might have gone through uh, downsizing of staff. Uh, you can rely on a partner to, to do more. Um, a trend that we've seen, it's, it's actually an uptick in RFPs and uh, requests for proposals over the last several months as uh, some of our clients have gone through the motions of, um, of the, the, the situation, the environment that we're in is uh, that they're doing uh, RFPs in order to uh, validate uh, their supplier base and find opportunities to uh, to find maybe new partners or deepen the relationships with, uh, with the partners that they have. And some of that is going towards the single sourcing uh, strategy, mm -hmm. uh, where of course they could get more from, from their partner if they uh, consolidate some of their spend into that one uh, player. And that could be just economies of scale and so on. It doesn't mean that they uh, get uh, just lower rates, uh, but that they do more, which opens up opportunities for the supplier to invest more in that relationship and so on as well. So you're seeing um, a lot of RFPs. And yeah, just to, to your point here, that is one thing we say at NIMSI is that the localization industry is recession-proof. Um, in good times, people need translations. In bad times, people need translations. It's it's not something that there's a lot of um, discretionary cost there, at least for serious companies that want to continue servicing their global customers. But for these, you, you mentioned you're seeing still a lot of RFPs happening these days, yeah. and you mentioned that people are kind of shopping the market, trying to see what out, what is what is out there. Going beyond just cost, because cost is a part of every RFP. Um, we want to make sure that we're, you know, paying the fair market rate for everything. What are some of the focus areas that you're seeing in RFPs being issued? I think it's uh, it's looking forward, right? What else can we do, uh, both on the supplier and buyer side, in order to uh, to navigate the current circumstances? Mm. So, are there smarter ways of working or 
would there be opportunities in, in working more with your supplier on uplifting your ways of working or handing over certain tasks to your supplier and so on? And uh, I think it's also something that just ha needs to happen internally in a lot of organizations as a localization buyer in order to be able to report up to your management that we did our work here, we did, a, did our homework, yeah. uh, and looked at our suppliers and, and found w various ways of using the budget in a, in a better way, perhaps, or just making sure that we're taking advantage of the latest technologies. Yeah, yeah we, we see a lot of that here at Nemzi. We do a lot of what we call, and it's every time I say this, I have to admit it's a horribly branded term, but localization program audits because everybody hates an audit, right? I don't know why we call them audits, but we do a lot of that work and going in and, you know, taking a look at people's current processes and tech stack. And because people don't know uh, on the client side, if I'm working at Google for the last five years, just to pick a random name, if I'm working at Google for the last five years, then I know very well how that localization program is done at Google because I've been there, I've been elbows deep in it. What I don't have that awareness of is always, how are other companies doing it? Am I using the current best technology to solve my challenges? Because I'm not being exposed to those things on, on a daily basis. And I think that's where this concept of outsourcing that we bring in, it plays nicely, all of these kind of play nicely with each other is because by outsourcing, you're using um, vendors and they're the experts in the technology and the latest practices. And they know how other people are doing it because they're working with those with those other people. So that's a plug for any, any program out there that's kind of wanting to figure out, are we using the best and the most modern processes, technology? You don't have to run an audit. I mean, you can call NIMSI and run an audit. Um, you can do the poor man's audit, which is go to RFP. <laughs> <laughs> and let the vendors tell you what they're up to. And that's usually a good way to get an understanding of what's available out there on the market. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. There is no such thing called standard localization process or localization right. uh, uh, program. Everything should be customized with the customer's needs. So different customers have different needs and the different uh, situations. So we don't consider ourselves as a vendor. We consider we're partners. We work closely mm. with the customers together to design, to implementing the tech latest technologies to fit their needs. So I've been doing a lot with using technologies and customizing the localization process and with the customers' needs in the past. It was you're so true for that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh so this is and for those of you, oh I promised that I was gonna put it into chat. We have the article available via um, Scientific's website here. Um, how economic downturns affect localization. I'm gonna go put that in chat right now, but first let me introduce our next topic here, which is the state of localization. And you guys publish every year, and I always look forward to this, you publish the state of localization report. So the 2023 edition is now available. I'll put a link to that in chat as well. Um, or maybe Teresa, if you're watching, you can provide some air support and be linking to some of these things in chat. And in here, you guys also talk about the um, how to manage downturns to a certain extent. But you also make some recommendations on how, how to address these. And 
how to increase efficiency, which is to say how to do more with less. We're talking about diversify talent pool, business intelligent technologies, uh, localization starting with the content creation stage, adopting automation and machine translation. And I realized we could probably take any one of these topics and talk for a good 20 minutes about it. But I wanted to throw this over at you guys since this is your report. Give us a sneak peek on what's in the report. You know, pick one or two of these topics and let us know what's in store. Yeah. So uh, we, we wrote this report back in January or so. Uh, we published it, I think, late January, early February. Of course, the industry has so changed. So it's out of date. <laughs> two two like weeks later, it was out of date. how much has happened in the last two months. So it's still a good read, though. So I don't want to tell you guys that don't read it because it's outdated. So we, we touch on a lot of stuff uh, in there. So it's uh, doing more with less. The localization in an economic downturn is a, is a good first chapter in the report. Uh, with some thoughts around that. And then we have, a, I think it's four other chapters in there, uh, different angles uh, on, on localization and where we are as an industry right now. Um, and of course, as you said, Packer, they, there's a lot of stuff that uh, sort of interlinks or interlocks in that. Um, we, we talk a lot about, obviously, I've been on this, uh, this podcast before talking about AI and localization, so maybe we don't have to spend too much time on that. But that's, there's a couple of chapters in there uh, on that as well. And um, if I really like the latest trends in the industry on that topic is, is really intriguing when we think about large language models and AI and, uh, and localization, obviously, and it's, it's all the rage, right? Everyone's talking about it. Um, but for us, it's, uh, it's fascinating. And I think when I've talked to you before, Tucker, we've talked about the convergence of AI and, and localization. Mm -hmm. and it's really happening, right? We're, we're, all of us are in the epicenter of, of AI right now with, with language. Um, so if we think about a few of those uh, topics, so we talk about uh, talent, for example, the talent pool, and we talk about technology, and we talk about AI, and we talk about localization. So one topic that I'm really excited about is uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback, uh, with language, large language models, and how we can make sure that the AI is uh, aligned uh, with human preferences. Um, so essentially what, what that means is that you have a large language model, you're getting some kind of output uh, in that, and then uh, you want to make sure that that output is uh, reviewed by humans. So there's a human in the loop uh, that provides feedback yeah. on the AI to teach it basically how to align with human preferences. And for us as an industry, it's a great opportunity to provide that review. It's essentially what we've been doing with post-editing of, of machine translation for right. the last five or 10 years, however long people have used machine translation. Um, so that's something that we are uh, really excited about. In fact, maybe we should uh, publish an updated version of the report with a chapter on that particular topic. But I would just want to call that out. I think it's a great opportunity for the entire industry to, to look at how we can provide that reinforcement learning through mm -hmm. human feedback, not only to, to localization buyers, but to anyone who's using large language models. And how do buyers, um, how, how do buyers typically go uh, uh, around that? Because, you know, in, in our, in the localization industry, traditionally, it's heavily centered on the supply chain, the value chain, the suppliers outsourced a lot of services, outsourced expertise. And all that stuff. And as you mentioned, AI is kind of coming in and just disrupting. I hate to use that word lightly, but let's use it for the sake of this conversation. AI is coming in and disrupting the language services space. 
are buyers choosing to outsource AI services um, to vendors or are they keeping it in house? If they're outsourcing it to vendors, are they going with specialized AI vendors? Are they going with their language vendors? What services are they outsourcing? Um, talk to me a little bit about how AI plays into the, the supply chain. For me, AI is not just one of the solutions. AI is a technology, so we are implanting that into every single step in localization. When we talk about localization, I really like the state of localization the article because we it describes end-to-end -end process from content, from source content management, automation, content publishing, content management, the translation, QA, and uh, performance management, right? So we are trying to introduce AI to the customer for each step. AI can be implemented mm. into the source content analyzing, can be used for automation, can be used for translation generation, and the generating the translation for the different uh, uh, different cultures, and we call the transcription, the customization. Also, AI can play the important role in QA. Also, as Jonas just mentioned, in performance management, in resource management. So AI can be implemented in each step of the localization processes. So would it be accurate for me to think about AI more as a productivity tool that's woven throughout the process rather than a replacement for any of the existing processes? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you, guys, you, you talk a lot about... Um, Let's just go there, why don't we? We talk a lot about uh, this human in the loop and mindful AI. And let me read another excerpt here from the State of Localization Report. Once again, three months old. So everything, the world has completely changed um, since then, but I think it's still relevant. AI localization is about localizing AI products, tools, and services to work in their respective markets. Localizing AI means training AI with localized data. In other words, collecting and curating data sets that respond to cultures in different markets. In addition, localization experts increasingly use AI and machine learning engines as essential tools for enhancing and customer, or enhancing end customer experience and driving customer satisfaction and loyalty. In this context, localization is no longer about just translating files, text, and software for human consumption. Language translation is part of AI localization, but AI localization also includes localized experiences that people love, no matter what country they live in, experiences that resonate based on their own cultures. And I love this quote because it speaks to the necessity of keeping the human touch, keeping the human in the loop, as I believe the report mentions it. And you talk about this concept of mindful AI. Um, can, can we go, and I know we're getting a little off topic here, but it's a fascinating topic and I just wanted to pick your guys' brain on it. What is mindful AI? Yeah, so uh, a couple of things, a couple of comments are based on, on the quote and, and generally also on the, on the report, right? So I think actually that topic, AI localization, is even more pertinent now than it was in January, obviously, because the uptake of AI is just uh, exploding. It's, it's everywhere. It will be everywhere in the next few months. Uh, as we've seen with uh, with the, with the in the media, right? So definitely, it's very important to consider that human in the loop aspect. Uh, I mean 
probably saw the the future of life institute with a bunch of luminaries uh, asking for a halt on ai development for six months because we want to make sure that it's aligned with the interests of humanity with, i don't want to sound like i'm the preservation here, of but... the human existence yeah yeah exactly so you need to be mindful when you consider ai and, and how you use it and how you deploy it and the way of of being mindful is to have humans in the loop to make sure that it's aligned with uh, human preferences and, and human alignment is actually a, a, a sort of a concept a term that is pretty common now when you talk about lang large language models and you want to make sure that the output is aligned with human preferences and not just something that is the the ai hallucinates uh, mm. and so on right so it's an extremely important topic um and going back a little bit backtracking to your previous questions about or question about who do companies turn to when it comes to ai and, and training ai and so on i think it's both language companies and specialized ai companies and they turn to a, uh, language companies because we have that experience right we have been adopting content to make sure that it's suitable for the target audience forever since that's the concept or the the definition of, of localization right is making sure that it resonates with the audience in the particular market and now it's just taking that concept and moving it into the space of ai and having someone like a language service provider with that experience the experience of managing large volumes having access to a large talent pool and, and global reach is uh, fundamental aspects of being able to deliver that human in the loop aspect so again it, it's a huge opportunity for for all of us in the industry to to work with these companies and provide mindful ai training how, how much of the the ai work being done out there by you know client side companies or researchers or stuff like that how much are they taking into account the global component, the localization component, the multilingual components. Are, are we seeing, are they doing a pretty good job with that of making sure that they're developing things that are relevant across cultures, markets, and languages? Or is it something like, like we've seen a lot in localization industry where other markets, other languages are kind of an afterthought? I think it's really evolved a lot over the last couple of years in the space of AI that it used to be something that was developed in in a country like the US for the most part or in China. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Europe is, is catching up, but definitely the, most of it is developed in, in the US or China still. Uh, and it used to be the case that it was focused on those the origin market of the AI. But okay. it's definitely uh, um, evolved a lot. And it's not only from a... Um, global perspective or a country perspective or locale perspective it's also uh, from an ethnicity perspective or uh, different types of, of users that are different to, to your typical user persona so I, I think companies are actually doing a pretty good job in that uh, at this point it wasn't the case a few years ago but it's evolved a lot what about you hear talk about this occasionally there's a report that comes out about bias in ai and where does bias in AI come from? And let's just use an example that everyone that's in the news and people can probably relate to is AI not taking into account different cultures, different races and ethnicities and um, cultural sensitivities like that. Where does that come from? Is that just the AI being racist or does that come from the humans that are training it? And how can companies, you know, how can suppliers, outsource suppliers help um, fix that problem? 
For me, AI is like it's a large language model. It's a machine learning. It automatically learns the content from the internet, from the networking. So it learns. It learns. It depends what kind of a content is reason and how people train it. This echoes the the point Yannis just mentioned. People in the loop. We for a, to adopt the AI solution from the technical point of view, you're not just enabled an engine. You are actually uh, build up the engine by customizing that, uh, fine tuning that, and training that, evaluating that, and testing that. The training it is important part, right? We need to evaluate, we need to double check, we detect the differences. And this is why people in the loop is so important. The expertise, linguistic expertise, is not just a translation experts. They understand the local culture. They understand the different needs from the local customers. They can help to identify the issues from the AI's resource. And also they can help to fine tune the AI to make sure it's aligned with the point, aligned with the culture, aligned with the local issues. So this is important for us to keep monitoring. And there's so much content on the internet that I can learn anything, but how do we uh, control that? How do we manage that? How do we evaluate it? How do we redirect that? This is important for us. Sorry, you caught me mid-coffee sip there. Um, yeah, so you hear this a lot, like the AI needs to be trained, which necessitates if something is learning, something is being trained, then somebody is teaching. Somebody is doing the training. And I think that's where, where we start to see this um, mindful AI, this human loop, human in the loop come in. And from a localization perspective, you know, some of the practical, when, when people, folks for years, I feel, have thought of AI, when you talk about AI and localization, we're talking about machine translation, right? That's just kind of the logical, yeah, AI, machine translation. But there's also all of these other different applications for artificial, artificial intelligence that can be used to increase productivity, you know, not to stray too far here, from the topic of today's supposed topic of today's conversation, which is, you know, how to increase efficiency and manage an economic downturn. You know, what are some of the ways that we see AI beyond machine translation, like practical ways? What are some of the applications being used in the supply chain or to manage the localization process um, in terms of vendor management, vendor selection, in terms of workflow routing, in terms of automated or hybrid quality checks. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot there. I can take a first stab at it and I'm sure we will have a lot to add to it. Um, you, you, you mentioned a bunch of good use ca cases, Tucker. I think uh, one thing that we've seen really good success on in terms of doing more with less uh, using AI is uh, in the project management side of things. So we have um, a few really large programs where we, we localize high volumes of content with a, a high number of translators as well. And in that, in order to track performance and, and make decisions on what to do QA on and so on, we use anomaly detection, AI-based anomaly detection, to pick out certain things that we should really make sure that we look at. So basically manage by exception or, or do QA by exception instead of QAing everything or manually managing uh, everything. That could be if someone is spending 
a very long time on a segment or a very short time on a segment that would be flagged with uh, with this anomaly detection system to to as something that would require further uh, checking and, and that could be across uh, quality or just overall uh, deliveries as well if something is uh, uh, if something was delivered very quickly that might also mean that we need to do a little bit of extra QA on that to make sure that they didn't rush through the, the translation job and, and delivered lower quality output, even if they have had a good uh, track record of high quality before. And then, of course, there's a number of um, different ways of doing smart QA as well in uh, using AI to d decide what uh, what content uh, to, to do the review on or do a deeper review on based on past performance and so on. And then in the space of large language models, there's a lot of really interesting um, research that we've been doing and we've started deploying it is to some programs as well. Uh, Wei has been uh, doing a lot of that with our R&D team. So maybe Wei, you want to comment on that part? Yes, yes. So totally. Uh, we are using AI in different areas from the end to end, as I just mentioned. From the very beginning, we're trying to use AI for source content analyzing, right? In the industry, people keep seeing garbage in, garbage out. So we should help be able to help the, the content creation team to create a better content for localization to remove the issues of localizabilities or globalization issues from the code. So I can play the important role in there. It can help us to read the content and to, to find the localizability issues automatically. That's one thing. The second thing, we're trying to enable the localization process by providing more uh, localization assistance to linguistic translators to help them. For example, to give them the context of the article, sometimes the translator just read the segments, but by using AI, we can summarize the content. We can also use AI to read the instructions, read the style guide, read the developer comments for each segment. So the translators can be, uh, their job can be much more efficient. Mm -hmm. and easier for doing that. And then, as you just mentioned, we're doing a lot of research. How do we use AI to do the uh, pre-QA, pre-validation? Before we do the human QA, human validation, we can automatically detect some potential issues. We can also analyzing the translation quality by providing uh, the, some scores for the strings. Or, so we can help the human reviewers to, to pre-detect some potential issues. And also, uh, AI can play an important role for transcription. So we can ask AI to create multiple suggestions to retranscribe our lo uh, local content. You know, so and the reviewers or the linguistic specialists can, uh, can see the suggestions from AI, can make this more efficient. For me, AI doesn't replace the machine translation. Instead, AI is an add-on. It's uh, much above the machine translation, can bring the automation and the uh, efficiencies to the quotation. We have been doing a lot, you know, for in the past few years and by using AI in, into different steps for uh, into our quotation process. Also, we talk to a lot of customers already existing. We have so many uh, good customers with us. We've been talking to each of them to find the way, you know, which the best feature we can help the customer developer by using AI to to address their concerns and problems. So in all of, just to highlight here, like what I'm hearing in all of those use cases that you had just listed off, I didn't hear any replacement going on because I think this is the fear. This is the, 
anytime a new technology comes in, whether that new technology is translation memories, machine translation, or now artificial intelligence, is the fear is, well, we're all out of jobs. We're going to be replaced. And you, you especially hear that from the translation community as well a, a lot. But all of that stuff that you just listed, I didn't hear anything getting replaced. I hear it um, like process improvement or adding tools to the toolkit of the translator, of the project manager, of the vendor manager. And, you know, I'm reminded of this old saying. I, I'm not even sure where it comes, but it's, um, you know, the... Humans aren't going to be replaced by machines. Humans are going to be replaced by other humans that know how to work with machines, right? So what type of training are you guys undergoing at Scientific to make sure that your team members are, or what does that look like internally? How are, how are your guys' um, internal teams being trained up in the latest technologies? That's a great question, actually. Very, very, um, a topic that we've discussed a lot recently on our side, and uh connecting back to the mindful ai topic as well so we we recently formed a responsible ai uh, committee within the organization uh we have people that are really curious and eager to use new tools like chat gpt in their work various different ways all the use cases that way mentioned but also for things like review emails and stuff like that and improve on on text but we need to be responsible in how we use those tools, right? So that's one of the trainings that uh, that we have um, put a lot of effort into. Uh, so don't use AI to train AI, for example. Don't put right. sensitive content into the AI engine. Don't use ChatGPT with anything that is sensitive content or confidential uh, content, essentially. So that's one of the core areas where we're looking at doing training. Other than that, we have a great R&D team that is uh, investing a lot in, in finding out how to how to use AI, but also being mindful and responsible in how, how they use it. And they keep our teams up to date on that. So we're doing things like um, weekly program reviews where we pick one program to review every week, uh, not only from an AI perspective, but in general, right? So that we are able to do internal trainings that way uh, but there's still room for additional trainings there because things are moving so fast right it's constantly changing so we need to make sure that we we stay on top of that the first thing we did was uh, to as Yannis mentioned that we created a committee but the, the most important thing we did was we created guidance for the whole company so the guidance including one thing is the on the top is the privacy how to protect the content, the security from our for our customers. How do we use AI when we use AI for customers program or data? How do we use AI to protect that? Um, for example, Yannis mentioned that don't use the public AI chat box for customer information. If you're writing the secret product descriptions, don't use that because information can be leaked. And how can we use that? How do we customize? How do we protect? What's the policy? We create very detailed. Now we also educate our customers uh, to inform, to be transparent with them, to help them to adopt the right solution. And the second thing we did, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation, how do we uh, how do we avoid the bias? How do we make sure we don't uh, have um, the incorrect statement or the training 
how do we clean up the training? How do we uh, target the training content to make sure AI plays a crack role in this? So removing bias is another thing. We uh, create a guidance how to train the content or what kind of content can be trained, can be used as the training material. And also we talk about the, the, the performance. Uh, we talk about the cost. We talk about, um, you know, um, how to human be in the loop to make sure the AI can be um, can provide a very uh, responsible result as the customer needs. So we create very detailed uh, guidance to the whole company. And the, besides the technical training, how to create the code, how to create a document, how to run, we are more focusing how to make sure we are aligned with the policies. We are provide, protecting the customer's data and how do, it, uh, how do our team members to understand and work with those customers in this transparent way for doing that. Are, are you two both using ChatGPT like in your day-to-day? We are using that in a different way. Well, we are not just using the, no. chat, the, the chatbot. We are actually using the APIs. We have right, right, right. Of, you're yeah. using the real AI, right? <laughs> but for for dummies like me that don't know how to use APIs, like I just use, I have the chat GPT console open. I have a subscription and all of that stuff, right? Do you yeah. guys, do you, specifically you two, Jonas and Wei, do you use that in your day-to-day? -day? I, 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 I use it very uh, carefully. Uh, I right. don't use that for the customer data. I don't use that for our right, uh, right, right. you know sensitive content. We test it. For example, we test it. I ask them to create a different transcriptions for sometimes and you know how to if I create uh, for for testing purpose. But mostly we're using the the, the API part, which is more secured. Right. Um, right. According to ChatGPT, if you use the the API part, that your private data. Are secured. It's not in more. It's not merged to the public, uh, public in the pool. So that's why we are not using the chatbot for the company information. Totally makes sense. Yeah. No. The reason I'm just asking is because it's like I think we're still trying to figure out how we can use some of this technology in our day to day. And I personally, I'll just give an anecdote. Um, have been playing around with it quite a lot. And I know everyone here at Nimsy has been playing around with it nonstop since, it, since it's come out. And so yesterday I needed to, because I procrastinated to the last minute, I needed to put together a, a proposal, a 10 page proposal for this, this RFP that we were working on. And I had had a lot of similar proposals in the past that I had written but this proposal I was working on yesterday had a requirement. It needed to be at a slightly different project scope, slightly different timeline, slightly different things. So I couldn't just copy and paste stuff. And it also needed to be within 10 pages. So I saved myself a lot of time by being able to um, show the chat GPT, the chat engine, like here's the past proposals I worked on. Here's the scope of work for this one. Can you please help me condense this into 10 pages? And, you know, and it was still a lot of work. Like, it's not a magic bullet. And I think people that haven't played around with it think that, oh, it's just a magic bullet. There's, it's still a significant amount of work. There's a lot of post-editing, so to speak, that you need to do in it. But it saved me hours. And that's just me, not knowing how to do APIs and all of that stuff. And sorry, go on. Yeah, you touched a very interesting point. In the industry, we call it prompt engineering. So how do you ask the questions, right? You mentioned you have to uh, 
organize right. your questions, right. descriptions, so the AI can uh, respond for the very uh, related result. So uh, how do you ask the questions we call upon engineering? And also you didn't train the engine. So right. this time you are, you have to use everything you could possibly Start to describe your, your yeah. needs in the, in the questions. For us, if we need to use it in the production, first thing of course we need to do is to create a prolonged engineering by a lot of the testing, a lot of reviewing. And then we need to train the data. For example, for you, uh, 10 pages articles, if you train the AI with your previous publishing content, you know, the, how do you think in the old articles you wrote and you read, and also train the terminologies, put terminologies listing there, also train the questions, how do people ask and how they answer. So more training you have in the chat GP kind of fine tuning, the more fine tuning you have, the better result you have. And so this this really uh, you even you use the chatbot, it's really touching the points. How to use the AI from the engineering point of view? You need to uh, ask the right questions. You need to evaluate the questions, and after that, you need to do the post post uh, um, uh, evaluation, and also need to do post the training to keep improving the AI. If you use the customized engine, the more you're doing with that, the better result you will get. And going back to very good points, going back to, you know, doing more with less, how, how, how can we, um, eliminate waste or improve efficiency in localization programs? You mentioned, I think it was you that mentioned it earlier way, and we kind of passed over it. You mentioned trans creation and, um, trans creation is one of the things that, for the longest time, we have struggled to optimize because the very nature of what we're doing is a very human-centric thing. You can't use translation memories. Um, so reuse is not an option. So um, everything's done from scratch. It takes a specialized talent to do it. Even transcreation nowadays is being um, is is not safe from from advancements in technology. Have you seen any interesting use cases where clients are taking a look at replacing or augmenting their transcreation workflows, still keeping a human in the loop, of course, but utilizing technology and natural language processing to help with that? Yes. Transcreation is an interesting part because, as you mentioned, we can use the translation memory. You know, it doesn't really heavily depend on the terminologies. So it really depends on the translator, uh, the linguistic specialist. So in the past, when we do the transcription, we use our linguistic tool. We choose the very uh, experienced translators and uh, we choose multiple people to do that the same way, right? So we have to pick. It uh, it's really depends on the experience, depends on the understanding of local culture, also depends on imagination. So in the past, we choose a lot of resources to do it together. It's really cost, um, it's not a cost efficient, also it's takes time consuming. But now when using AI, we can ask AI to create multiple choices and provide the suggestions to the linguistic expertise to help them to choose. And also AI can read the instructions from the original content creation. So this is for a product logo, this is a product slogan. So this is a marketing purpose. 
So AI can read those instructions. We can tell them to be more drama, more emotional, or more customer focusing. Those things can be trained into the AI engine for the particular answer. So we can use those instructions to ask AI to create 10 different uh, suggestions. Mm. And then we have the reviewers to choose. And the reviewer may come out a different way or different suggestion, but the 10 suggestions will definitely help them uh, to, to be able to say the different options. Yeah, it provides like a starting point. It's not, yes, once again, exactly. it's not doing the work for you, but no. it's really kind of changing the way that we work. So rather from starting from scratch, it's, you know, I, I, I've been calling it post-editing transcreation. Yes, yes, yes. Essentially. It's a good use case too for, for using LLMs because uh, one of the issues with LLMs is the cost, right? So processing right. large volumes, you, you do use a lot of, processing power that comes with cost but with transcreation it's it's like could be one slogan slogan and you get 10 uh, suggestions for it it doesn't really require that much effort for the for the engine to to do that so it's a good use case in that uh, that way too but it definitely requires human in the loop to, to do the review or the selection of which one to go with exactly all right. I, you know, so to wrap this up here, when, when I think of scientific, I think of the three word catchphrase, lovable customer experiences, right? I think you guys are kind of known for your rabid commitment to creating lovable experiences, not just for your customers, but for your customers and users, right? And the role that localization, culturalization, and all of that stuff plays into it. So I wanted to kind of close us up today talking about lovable customer experiences within the context of doing more with less, within the context of, you know, we might be experiencing budget cuts or financial strain at our organization as so many tech companies are right now. And so I, I pulled another quote, and this is from Teresa. If you're still there, you can try to find this and link to this in the comments for everybody. But I pulled this quote from Localized to Create Lovable Customer Experiences, available at scientific.com. It says, every time your customers engage with your company, talking to customer support, reading documentation, looking at an advertisement, or using your product, their experience defines how they view your brand. As analyst Brian Solis once wrote, experience is the new brand. And I wanted to kind of use this as a jumping off point to talk about, and I think we've hit a lot of these points today, but just to recap as we're finishing up the podcast for today, why, how are economic downturns, how are budget cuts, how are, how is running a lean localization program? Talk to me. How is that not in direct competition with creating lovable customer experiences? What's your elevator pitch for this? If I come to you as a customer and say, look, I'm being asked to reduce my budget. I don't have the resources I did last year. I'm being asked to do more with less, but I still want to keep this hyper focus on my end user experience. What's your answer to them? So, uh, you asked about RFPs before and why companies do RFPs. So looking at cost is definitely one aspect, of course. But a question that comes up in pretty much every RFP recently is, how do we redefine what good quality is? And mm. what, what really matters? Does it matter if it's uh, in compliance with the style guide that was written five years ago? Or does it need to have an LQA score of 99 
or 98. Don't, don't get me started on LQA scores. Yeah. Customer experience, right? So we've been trying to to come up with a model that really measures the customer experience instead of the LQA score or the language score, whatever you call it, right? And what resonates with your local customers, the users of whatever product or content that, that you localize. Um, and, and we've invested in technology to support that. Of course, you can go out, you can do sentiment analysis and you can try to gather data points or you can talk to your customers or look at social media and see if someone is commenting about your localization experience, which happens rarely. But we have a few different ways of doing that, supporting that with, with tools to, uh, to get customer sentiment input on the localized uh, content, uh, tools to track the, the user journey and, and get input and, and capture how the user journey looks in each language. Um, and with those tools, you can uh, get some measurement on how the localization is performing from a customer experience perspective and tie that back to your budgets. So if you're spending less, does it mean that the customer experience suffers or can you use that to decide which parts of the customer journey or the user journey of your content should you focus on to make sure that the customer experience doesn't suffer in spite of spending less money on that? So it's, a, it's an interesting area to look at and, and really try to redefine what good quality is and how it impacts your customer experience as well as your, your, your performance essentially in the markets in, in terms of sales and so on. Well said. Anything to add away? No, I totally agree. Uh, the customers have different needs and different challenges. So as, uh, as a partner, we are working with them closely to uh, to try to address their concerns. And the, but we're using this AI technology and no other technologies, not as a solution, but also as a partnership tools to be able to reduce the cost for the customers and to overcome the challenges together. Well said as well. Well, let's, before we get out of here today, I want to go take a look. And I just realized you guys can't hear me as I'm going through all of the chat because my sound system's not working. You guys could hear me, but the audience couldn't hear me. But if you, you might have read the chats on screen. I wanted to end with uh, Khadija's comment here. How to leverage the AI language models to optimize and free the localizers to focus on quality, adapt these new AI efficiencies, and innovate to stay ahead of the game and stay relevant. I think that kind of encapsulates what we've been talking about today as far as... AI is a tool. It is to a tool to leverage, not a force that's going to replace, a market force that's going to completely disrupt everything. It's going to change the way that we do our work, but the work is still going to be there, I think is a good way of summarizing it. And with that, um, gentlemen, any closing, any closing thoughts from you today before we start wrapping this up? 
for real? Exciting times, right? Lots going right. on. Uh, we need to update our state of localization report. And uh, I'd be happy to talk to you again, Tucker, in like a month or two months and see where we are then. I'm sure we need a, like a version three of the report at that point. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't give you a heads up that I was going to be highlighting that on the podcast today. Um, so I kind of put you on the spot. No, but it's, it, it's, it's to too good it. not it's to talk good. about. Still relevant. Right? So, awesome. way. No, the same. Thank you so much for having us here. It's uh, such a pleasure to talk about it. We're also keep learning ourselves. Yep. Things are changing so fast. Let's do it together. All right. And we'll see you at Local Lunch next week. Yes. Right? Thank you. Yes. Can't wait. All righty, guys. Well, going further, if you want more information, like I said, check out those links that Teresa and I, to a lesser extent, have been throwing into the chat here on LinkedIn. If you're not following us on LinkedIn or listening to the podcast, you can go to www.scientific.com and find out more information about all of the resources we looked at. Once again, my name is Tucker Johnson, host of NIMSY Live, and it's been my pleasure to join you all today. I appreciate our guests, Jonas and Wei. I appreciate my colleagues here at NIMSY Insights doing all of the hard work so I can have these fun conversations. <coughs> Excuse me. I appreciate antibiotics. I appreciate everybody in our industry who fills out NIMSY surveys and schedules briefings with us so that we can share our knowledge with the rest of the industry. And lastly, I appreciate you the audience who are joining us live today, all of the dialogue and chat, everybody who left comments, questions, and criticisms. And I look forward to next time. Cheers.